0: Good afternoon, good evening, my name is Marty Plum and I am your host of a Pin and a Napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 103 and I am pleased to have better late than never, uh, Lisa Steele, the former girls basketball coach at Paul Sixth out of New Jersey to come on here. Uh, we're really excited to have Coach Steele on here. But before we get to Coach, we of course want to thank our founding sponsor for the podcast, Cosack Chiropractic, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha, Nebraska. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see cossack Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at cosacchiro.com, K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. And just be sure to let them know that a pin in an a napkin sent you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, if you're listening, you're on iTunes, so be sure to download, rate, and review. Give us five stars so we can get out the word to help coaches hone their craft. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Three words for you this morning, Coach. Are you ready for them? Yes. Fly, Eagles, fly
1: yes yes sir
0: who do they have today
1: we have the giants it's a division game
0: oh yes uh the 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 def uh the east coast bias one of those
1: yeah yeah (laughs) we should uh we should win but you never know hopefully they continue to run the ball
0: yes it's it is the nfl so you never know from week to week so uh we are taping this sunday morning uh coach has got her face paint on and <laughs> and she is just ready to go. Half half the face is green, half the face is white. She's got some silver separating the two. She is just locked in and ready to roll. Yeah. Uh, uh maybe not. Maybe not that far, but <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do have my Eagle sweats on though. I am where <laughs> I am repping the Go Birds. I got my Eagle sweats
0: on. Uh are, are, do, uh, are they the Ron Jaworski uh uh mike quick uh era or are they a little bit more randall cunningham what era are they from uh
1: they're, they're the recent era the the uh more so the donovan McNabb. okay all
0: right yeah. yes 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 outstanding quarterback didn't get as much credit as he should have took a lot more blame than he ever should have uh that's my opinion but i'm not an eagles fan so uh all right well hey coach Steele, uh pleased to have you on uh today um just uh you know we we usually start out this way for folks that are kind of new to the pod uh just tell us a little bit about yourself your background and and your basketball journey
1: yeah first off you know thanks for having me uh i always get a lot of tidbits from your twitter feed so when you uh messaged me i was, I was i'm grateful to be here thank you oh, um,
0: well thanks for coming on
1: so a little bit about myself i uh so I'm based out of South Jersey. Um, I'm 20 minutes from the city of Philadelphia, where uh, I live and where my this Paul Six High School was. Uh, I'm a public school um, high school teacher. I teach business classes now, and I am currently, um, which is why I resigned, the assistant athletic, athletic director at Highland Regional High School, which is a um, 1,100 students public school here in Camden County. Uh, actually, my alma mater. So. Okay. I played here. Um, so I, I played here. I had a, a decent high school career. We went from being, when I was in eighth grade, um, when I didn't play. They were a four-win team. And by the time uh, myself and my teammates, I had two other teammates who played Division I basketball, uh, graduated, we were nationally ranked. Um, I scored you know, 2,000 points uh, in high school playing at Highland for Dan McGettigan. And um, from there, uh, I went to George Washington and played for uh joe McEwen, and who's now currently at northwestern Mm -hmm. um so at gw we had uh, a successful four years we went to uh two sweet 16s um in uh 2007 2008 and we were nationally ranked um you know all four years we Mm -hmm. were there in, in 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 one pole or another mm-hmm. um and then from there um i got hurt in college i actually wound up i had a uh, six stress fractures that just always lingered oh, um turned, turned into arthritis you know the whole thing so it was one of those things where like i could only practice an hour and a half a day i had to really watch myself and um so i was able to see the game from the sidelines a lot in college mm-hmm. um something i hoped it wouldn't have happened but it was a blessing in disguise because i had the opportunity to really learn how to become a coach um i had an opportunity to really learn you know a a blizzard a matchup defense from one of the best in the business who who kind of you know made that his own um and then I got to kind of just learn the business of things. So when I graduated from GW, I became a college coach at the Division One level. I was at Mount Saint Mary's University for a few years, uh, three years in Emmitsburg, Maryland, um, home of Jim Phelan, mm-hmm. uh, one of the winning, yep, one of the winningest coaches of all time, and then the bow tie um, guy. Yes, the yep. bow tie guy. Yep. Yes, Yep. So, and then, um, and I was lucky I got to meet, he was around a lot. His daughter is the athletic director there. So I, I got a chance to sit with him a few times, um, which was really cool. Um, another Philly guy though, he went to LaSalle, but, uh, I, uh, also, uh, coached at Wagner college in New York city for a year. And then that's when I circled back and came home. Um, and I have been at Paul Six for seven of the last eight years I, um, I did a brief stint with Timber Creek Regional High School who's also in the same district as Highland um, sectional champions uh, had a number of division one players the the Martin family is who went through there they pl- all played at Quinnipiac
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I had great careers when Quinnipiac was going um, to the tournament a few years ago yep. a lot. Um so yeah, and then from there, uh recently I kinda caught the administrator bug. I, I work uh events every summer. Um on the AAU side, I've been with the um Philadelphia Bells my whole life. I played for the Bells, you know, growing up. We won a national championship in two thousand three. Uh had some pretty special teams, played for uh, Brian Creech and Kevin Lynch who are now with the Philly Rise. Um, but also, uh, you know, pl- did a lot of work for Mike Flynn and did a lot of work for USG Nationals and Chris Menig of USG Nationals. So I started to kind of really enjoy the administrative side and most recently got my principal certificate in the state of New Jersey. And I'm currently the assistant AD um, and will be, you know, pursuing either VP or athletic director jobs in the near future.
0: Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, it, it takes a special person to be a school administrator. It's something I don't want any part in. So ha- hats off to you, Lisa, <laughs> for for jumping in. So um, you, you talked about your your college career, and uh, you, you had the injuries that forced you to kind of look at the game from a different angle. And obviously you were a great player. You're a Division One player, uh, scored a bunch of points on, on great teams. But a lot of times uh, great players – Want to become coaches, but they really, really struggle with coaching. Um, what do you think is some of the the most difficult adjustments that uh, players have, especially great players have, to becoming a coach and and interpreting the game and seeing the game in a different way?
1: It, it's funny. I'm actually I'm reading a book called Talent Code right now, and and one of the discussions in this book is actually. The science behind talent, and basically a big thing is with myelin. When the myelin formations, sorry, I'm a science nerd too. That's so. okay. That's okay. <laughs> but when you have this, my, when you're when you're developing, you know, motor skills, you you form myelin, and basically when you put in enough practice and and do enough, it becomes um, automatic to the point where uh, you're subconsciously doing the skills. And I think athletes who are really good um who had that harder transition it's because they've spent so much time on their craft as a player uh some of the decisions they make some of the um actions they do like like a jump shot uh it's automatic Mm -hmm. because that there's been you know that that muscle memory that formation has become so strong um so i think that sometimes that might be the challenge Um, the one thing I am grateful for is I've had a lot of great coaches around me and I've also, um, because I've had that time where I was injured and I had to step back, I had years, um, to reflect on, all right, this is what you, why you were good. This is the breakdown of it. And I also had coaches just, you know, my dad is the one that kind of taught me how to shoot a jump shot. So, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough he's still around, um just talking to him and breaking it down into the pieces Mm -hmm. you know and going back and talking to my high school coach and seeing him teach 10 year olds the pieces of shooting a jump shot because i will i will tell you my whole thing as a player was i could shoot in the mid-range i could shoot the three i could i could shoot and uh the hardest thing for me to coach is teaching kids how to shoot um
0: (laughs) (laughs) no I, i i i yeah i understand i mean i wasn't very good but I could shoot. I mean, I could. I mean, I, I could really shoot, uh, you know, uh, passing, dribbling, uh, defense, rebounding. Those are the things that escaped me, but I could shoot. And sometimes I sit there and go, why, you know, uh, my former, I, I'd like, I think I've gotten a lot better at it. But hey, this should be, this should be pretty simple for you. Just boom, 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 do this. And, and I've gotten better at it, but I understand where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and then the funny thing is I used to get teased for my defense. Now, I always thought I played hard on defense, but I get teased for it. But, I, but the reason why I say that is because our identity at PBI became, you know, we created a lot of offense from our defense. And our identity became a, a defense-focused team where we were turning teams over. We were getting points in transition. So it is funny, you know, how it works out because a lot of my weaknesses in my actual game as a player became um, the the strengths and the identity of the teams that I've coached as mm-hmm. a head coach.
0: Mm-hmm. Do Do you think you you're kind of talking about the the muscle memory, and you know? Have you ever read any Malcolm Gladwell and the 10,000 hours and and that type of thing? Yeah.
1: yeah. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, years ago.
0: Yeah. Um you know great players when they when they start coaching they they have not put in the 10,000 hours into coaching in the same way that uh they they put into their jump shot or or their basketball skills. They're kind of starting out at times. Now, and again, this isn't everybody and I'm painting with an extremely broad brush here. But just the reps of understanding the ups and downs of coaching, just like the reps of understanding uh, the the ups and downs of developing your skills uh, is it, to me that that sounds like a little bit of a correlation between those two. And when it doesn't, you know it, it's not going to be a smooth transition for everybody who jumps into that realm. is does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it definitely. It's, as you talk about it, I think about all the experiences that I sought out, mm-hmm. um, you know, in college to, to develop those skills um, and to gain those hours, um, like coaching in different All-American camps, coaching AAU as a college player, uh, volunteering at college camps. But then it never really replaced, you know, when you move six inches to the left and become the head coach, um, that experience of actually calling the timeouts and making the substitutions, um, you know, gaining those hours as well. Mm So I, I I totally make sense.
0: Yeah. So that, that kind of brings me to the, to the next question here. I mean, you've basically coached everything but professional, uh, professional ball. You've coached at the high school level, you've coached a lot of AAU uh, you coached at the collegiate level for uh, a handful of seasons. Um, Mm -hmm. What, what are the kind of the different things that you've taken from each level that is that has crossed over and, and has helped uh, make you a, a fully rounded coach. Uh, the, the things that are the a you know from the AAU level that has helped you uh, at the high school level and the stuff at the college level that helped you with the AAU and so forth and so on.
1: So I think the biggest the biggest adjustments for me were communicating to the different age groups. That oh. was uh, first and foremost, the biggest adjustment. Um, so, but the biggest lessons learned just going from, I started off in AAU when I was in college every summer I would, uh, work, you know, like all American camps. So like I was in college doing skills work. Um, and you're, you mentioned Iowa, you know, with uh, Tony Pappas from Waterloo West oh, high school. Yep, 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 Yeah. I, um, I've had the luxury of just working with him for, a number of summers uh, uh, over, de- you know, the past 17 years, um, working with some of the top talent in the country. And mm-hmm. the biggest takeaway I um, have from those summers and working with those players is the mentality. Um, and, you know, they just show up and they work. And uh, it's it's not something where you have to beg them to get into the gym. It's not something, it's something that they they love and they want to do. So that passion The attention to detail um, that the, you know, the best of the best have, the um, attention to the other pieces of the game, not just like on the court, but the nutrition and taking care of your body. Um, Those are the biggest takeaways that I kind of took to the, you know, actual, like the college level and, and putting it together in a program. And as a college coach, I really learned how to build a culture and build a legacy because with college you know you have to recruit classes and come in who put this together and then perpetuate because Mm -hmm. you know if you think about it as a new coach the first year my first college job i was working for somebody who was established and he was recruiting his players in my second college job we were a first year program so all of the players were not quote unquote our players you Mm -hmm. know they were recruited by the previous coach so learning how to form a you know to form a program that it has longevity, mm-hmm. you know, that, that moves on. So that was the biggest thing. And then in high school, I got to return to kind of like what I loved about the game most, which was being in a gym with a coach just working on different things, right, mm-hmm. by myself. That was like one of my favorite, and the, obviously the opportunity to compete. But I got to return to that developmental phase where we got to really form the habits that allow the players to kind of springboard and move on forward too. And not just the basketball habits, like how to pivot on the right foot or how to make like a good pass or, but the, you know, show up on on time every day, you Mm -hmm. know, we're here, you know, the life skills. Yeah. All the different life skills. So I learned a lot of different lessons along the way. Um, And I'm, I'm grateful that I kind of went in the order I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of got to bring like some of the stuff I've learned to each level. Um, <clears throat> but then the biggest adjustment though was communicating, you know, when, when you're a high, you know, when you're working with high level athletes, you know, you can kind of communicate differently and, and with a lot more energy and they get it. Um, when you're communicating with college athletes, you know, you have young adults. And then when you go back to high school and you have young ladies who are just playing for fun, uh, it's, it's an adjustment. Mm-hmm. It's different.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's yeah, I, I think that's right that you know you, you have to you have to go in with a a little bit different mindset and communication level at, at each level, uh or or communication commitment and just you know the purpose of it. And I think you kinda hit it the nail on the head there. Um when you're coaching AAU, those kids are pretty serious. When you're coaching college ball, it's really, really serious. You know, one thing we have to keep in mind uh, and I know I was guilty of this, is when we're coaching high school kids, uh, some of them are just there just to be around their friends. And they're going to work hard for you, and they're going to put in good time. But when that practice is over at 530, at 532, they've moved on. And, and I think sometimes we as high school coaches have a hard time dealing with that or, or understanding that because we're so invested in it. Um, is, is that kind of something else you learned, Coach?
1: Yeah, and I learned how to uh, serve those ladies as well. Uh-huh. You know, um, mm-hmm. So at PVI, um, there was no, uh, I made no bones about it. I was there to hopefully build that program into one of the best in the state. And um, so a lot of the young ladies who wanted to kind of have fun and play, they kind of understood. But then uh, being creative and finding ways. So they come and they work hard. Um, every day and they don't you know we don't sacrifice um, our hard work so everybody has fun and um, but two to provide them with experiences so mm-hmm. we um, you know by year three uh, we went to New York every year and made a trip of it you mm-hmm. know and we went to go visit Times Square and we would go visit different areas we went to DC one year um, <clears throat> so every time we went and played we're, we're about 40 minutes from the beach here okay. so anytime we would go down and play like ocean city or wildwood or atlantic city we'd either go to like a sub shop like there's this place called the white house in atlantic city amazing cheesesteak so we would either go to the white house in atlantic city when we're playing atlantic city or we go to mac and manco's the pizza shop on the boardwalk in ocean city just to um provide that experience because it is high school and then the funny thing is though for the players who are very serious about it having that like that transition that fun after these games um they, they, they've lo- enjoyed it,
0: too. Mm-hmm. I, I find it hard to believe you found a, a cheesesteak place uh, uh, in the New Jersey, uh, Philadelphia area. I'm, I'm stunned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's a few. There's a few. <laughs> but the, the White House is good. If you're ever in Atlantic City, the White House is a home wall building, but it's crazy.
0: Oh, those are usually the best, though. The holes in the walls. Yeah. That's, that's where the good stuff is. Um, yeah. You're not really sure what's in there, but you don't really care either. No. <laughs> um, you mentioned your college coach uh, Joe McEwen uh, he's now at Northwestern he's been there for quite a while uh, and and Brian Creech was another one that you mentioned uh, both on the pod and then in the, the stuff that you sent me before um, just the, the the influence of mentors and and how important is it to have a mentor and and somebody that when you have a question, you feel like you can kind of go to them with just about anything, and they may have the answer, they may not have the answer. Uh, with somebody like Coach McEwen, you know, who's been around for a long time, he probably will have the answer. Uh, but, but just how important is that to have that mentor in your coaching career to kind of help steer you, especially as a young coach?
1: It's critical. I mean, I preach this when I talk to families about having their daughters to come play for me it takes a village right to mm-hmm. raise a child and um that village stays with you throughout the rest of your life uh Dan McGettigan, who i mentioned on my list i met him when i was eight years old and um to this day i actually had a, a, a at length conversation with him last week to um because one of my next projects, because obviously I stepped away from the sidelines as a head coach, but um, I'm not going to step away for good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked to him about bringing back the feeder program he developed because, uh, it, you know, in the past like couple decades, it uh, kind of dissipated a little bit the Gloucester Township hot Shots. But um, if you looked at that feeder program, there were four Division One, no, gosh, almost ten Division One players came out of that program in a short span of years from our township. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, the relationships last a lifetime, and they're just so valuable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Brian Creech, I could call him last year. We have a, we have a point guard at PVI who's the number 18 overall player in the country in our class, in the class of 2023, Hannah Hidalgo. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were starting to face guard her. And I, I, I was doing certain things, but she was t- she was being run ragged every game. So I said, all right, there's got to be an adjustment. Creech is like a wizard when it comes to X's and O's in terms of just um, offensively. He's, he's good total as a total package, motivation and that wise. But when it comes to just like putting players in the right place on the court offensively. Um, so when I called him, he was like, oh, yeah, you just, you know, set a screen for her a little bit higher up towards the free throw line against the press, free her up, and then she'll be able to go because he's seen her play. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it. Literally, the screens I was setting for her, I moved 15 feet back you know and yeah. it, it just opened up more space mm-hmm. but it was like it was like that one adjustment that i was looking at it from all these different angles it was like staring at you right there <laughs> and and he was like oh yeah here and he it was just so simple that he saw it um but all of the all of the relationships i've had have either helped me professionally um i actually so i teach personal finance in at, at, for high school where i teach and um Careers is one of them. And I always tell them, your jobs, your first early jobs are going to be who you know, and then keeping your job is going to be what you know. So um, a lot of these guys on the list and, and women have helped me with jobs, either the college at the college level um, or when I moved back home and at the high school level.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to steal that one, Coach. Yes.
1: First, for, yeah. First, yeah job, first
0: job, who you know, keeping your job, what you know. Uh-huh. I am going to use that in class tomorrow morning. There Official. Go. Done. Good. Uh, a Pen and a Napkin University is offering you, our listeners, a great opportunity to learn about more about coaching above and beyond the Appen and a Napkin universe. In our video series detailing personal growth and development, you can purchase videos on topics like interviewing for a job, basketball analytics, and fundraising and social media. Go to A Pen and a and follow the links to order. Videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the bundle for $50. That's less than $8 a video. We also have our defensive series available. Those videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the three-video bundle for $25. Check out the Pen and Napkin University Video Library. Coach, uh, th- this last few months or so, it's it, it's, it looks like to me, uh, it, it's, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. Uh, late in the spring, you decided to, to step away, and then you unstepped away, and <laughs> then... Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, in September, you kind of re resigned, and and you know those reasons are your reasons, and and so forth and so on. Uh, but uh, you know one of the things that you did mention publicly was just uh, the life balance, uh, the balance between coaching and 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 being everything else that you need to be in your life. Uh, how how difficult uh, and and what are some things that that you would recommend for coaches to to keep that life balance when sometimes we can just get so into and 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 you know have those blinders on when it comes to, to coaching our teams and coaching our programs
1: so yeah so my biggest thing is um, to build trust effectively um, with kids these days uh, the kids spell trust T I M E. you can, you can use that too, but I I got that from my superintendent actually. So that wasn't mine, but the way these kids these days, they spell trust is T I M E. Mm -hmm. And I put a lot of time, invested a lot of time into my program. And um, it's funny, about eight years ago, I read a book. It's called one thing. Uh, I'm not sure the author, but one of the things they talked about is everybody discusses work life balance and sometimes the balance is your is skewed to your passion so Mm -hmm. some for some people your work-life balance might be a lot of work Mm -hmm. and uh for me growing up as a a single woman with no kids that was fine and that worked and i loved it so my work balance life balance was skewed but three years ago um i had a daughter Mm -hmm. and um also my partner is a coach as well uh coaches you know football in the big 10 so i um the balance kind of shifts a little bit, mm-hmm. so I think th- the biggest thing is to to know your values and to kind of recalibrate every few years. Uh, because after you know sitting down for three years and, and looking at just my life situation and with my daughter, um, the amount of time I was pouring into my program at Paul Six um, was taking away from the amount of time and you know other resources, financial resources. Mm-hmm. Um, Space physical time with her, you know, um, taking away from my daughter, mm-hmm. and so I had to make a tough decision where Where am I going to put those resources? Um, so back in the spring, uh, that love for the game, um, I have a great support system. Mm-hmm. So you know, when I when I made the decision in the spring, it was more so like a personal, like okay that that. I need to do this for my daughter, but Mm then I, you know, my support system around me was like, we can help. Um, so when I, when I got that offer of help, I said, okay, well then this is doable. Um, but then when these other career opportunities came about and I realized the time that I was pouring into my PVI girls were now being, uh, divided. Yeah. Uh, Um, just in good faith to run the program and give the girls the way to give the girls the commitment that I would hope that they'd give to me or it, similar. I, I just, I, I couldn't sustain it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just at them hours in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the biggest thing is constantly staying in touch with your values. Like what do you need at the moment? Um, because what, and life changes, you know, what I needed as a 22 year old, um, college athlete who was no longer able to play is a lot different as a 35 year old mom of a three year old, um, in a two parent, you know, working household, mm-hmm. you know, not, not just a two parent working household, but like two parents coaching sports at a high level. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, so it's, it's a little bit different. Um, so just being in touch with your values and your needs, Mm-hmm. continuously, um, just so you can make those make those decisions.
0: Well, hats off to you, Lisa, for making that decision. A, a lot of people would not have uh, made that selfless of a decision, and and I think it's it's really cool what you did. I I, I really I really do. I admire that uh, because it is hard to let go. And 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 you've built you, you built a great program there at, at Paul the Sixth, and uh, you know. When you see that work and you reach a point and you're like, boy, I but I, I put so much into it, it's it's hard to step away and I'm sure it was for you. Uh, you know, but uh, it's an admirable d- d- decision by you and and uh, you know I, I just I hope everything works out in the long run for you uh, and 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 the basketball journey takes you to where you want to go there in that regard. so yeah.
2: um,
0: you're a business teacher.
2: Yeah.
0: and uh, my dad was a business teacher. Uh, so I, I, I feel like I've inherited a little bit of that marketing gene a little bit, um, that, that business side, maybe a little bit, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think it's an interesting, um, gene, so to speak to have, uh, you know, how is, how is that business background? Cause a lot of, te- a lot of coaches are usually like, uh, you know, the big one is social studies. I'm a social studies teacher. Uh, you know, a lot of social studies teachers coach. Uh, but there's other disciplines, but not a ton of business teachers. Uh, how has you know your business teaching background and and the way your mind works in that regard kind of helped you build your program? Uh, you know, in, when with relation to marketing, with building clinics, with building camps, and, and just drawing people into your program.
1: Uh, so, and that the business background and the college coaching background combined have really. Uh, created like a perfect storm coming into a PVI, a private school where we can pulling players from across the tri-state area. Um, but now also in the public school uh, and one of the, my future, hopefully future endeavors is, um, you know, there's a, a big expression in our district about keeping kids in the district and not losing them to the mm-hmm. private schools or the school choice schools and the charters and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been beneficial because I've learned how to develop the meaningful relationships uh, that are needed to, to recruit and, and to bring and garner buy-in from the community and create just um, support in the community. So, um, it has trickled down, you know, in college, it's, it's the lifeblood of your program. And if you don't recruit, you know, you don't really keep your job long. Um, it's not, you know, on that scale, but bringing some of those elements of, um, making people feel welcome, making people feel like they're a part of something bigger, um, making people feel that they're just a part of this program and we're all coming together to to achieve a one goal. Um, I think it's been just helpful in creating that sense and making people want to be a part of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I just had fun with it. The very first thing I did, uh, when I was at PVI was for every event I ran, I got t-shirts made just so you could get the Paul Six name visible Mm -hmm. into the community. Uh, because PVI in our, in our South Jersey community has a name, but it wasn't for girls basketball. You know, Mm -hmm. their last state title was in the 70s. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so I knew I got the job done, though, when I was at an in-service in my district one day. And I was walking through the gym after school to say hi to a, a coaching colleague. And I saw one of the athletes wearing a Paul Six basketball shirt. And I was <laughs> like, yeah. I said, that's not good for you guys. You should probably tell us that shirt is set out. However, <laughs> you know, for me, the name's out there. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So just that, that sense of we're here. There's a community here. Um, there's a community you want to be a part of here, uh, and then just getting the word out.
0: Mm-hmm. You're uh, you're stepping into the realm of broadcasting a little bit. I saw. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know how is that? How is that big? I, you know, I've dabbled in a little radio and 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 uh, done some of that, and uh, it's fun. I I really enjoy doing it. Uh, how is that perspective? Of of doing some broadcasting and just watching both teams and preparing for a game and, and I, I, I don't know about you, but the, the biggest thing, kinda like with this podcast, I, I you know, one of my goals is to not sound like an idiot. Um, and I know that's what I worry about when I'm what I'm calling a game is to not sound like an idiot. But uh, what uh, what have you learned about basketball from that perspective?
1: Ah, uh, it's, it's a different beast. So I got a call a few weeks ago, LaSalle's head coach, and he said, Hey, Lise, we, we have a need. Um, it's immediate. Uh, but we need a color commentator. You know, we have a broadcast, and it would just be better to have t- the color commentator and the play-by-play bounce off each other. It's it's tough with just one.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I have no. Ex- I am a math science person i, I have an exercise science pre-med concentration from undergrad i have a master's in business i and i love you know i teach accounting so like are you sure you want me on this broadcast <laughs> because i literally have no experience and he said no it'll be great. you've coached so i was like okay um so it, it, it was nerve-wracking at first because i couldn't i, I wasn't sure of the etiquette that mm-hmm. was the hardest adjustment was how does the conversation conduct throughout the game.
3: Mhm. Yeah.
1: Um, so that I was very nervous going into the first game. Um, the preparation was fun because I got to call old friends, mm-hmm. um, LaSalle's, the first games I did were against Ryder and Niagara and Niagara's head coach. I used to coach with at Mount St. Mary's and Ryder's coaches are South Jersey girls who recruited me, mm-hmm. um, worked with me, you know, so mm-hmm. I've known them for 20 years now. Um, so that was the fun part. I get to talk hoops yeah. and that was the really, really cool part. Um, being a on the sidelines on the other sideline, kind of reporting what you're seeing, um, it, it it's fine. It, you know what it is? I, I kind of just get to talk about the game with my friends, but it just they all happen to be on a broadcast listening in on ESPN plus. Uh-huh. So so that was cool. I mean, but the hardest part I think was figuring out the timing. Mm-hmm. Um and then if you like if anybody listened in the first half of my first game it was, I was kind of quiet because articulating your thought quick enough where you can get it in between the main basket and before the next play is set up.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So th- those were the biggest challenges. But the other part that was fun, it was the, I mean, honestly, my hardest part about doing that is making sure I have like child care to watch the baby so I can go do all these games. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. But, but, um, I loved it. I, I would do it as much as possible if I could.
0: How many games have you done?
1: I I've, I've done two so far and I and I'll probably I have a few more left this yeah.
0: season too. Yeah. Same same partner? Same partner. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I you know it uh it's it's tougher when you're kind of rotating with with different yeah. people. Uh you, you know, you'll fall into a rhythm uh if you have the same partner and you'll you'll you know, it's just 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 like it's just like playing 2 on 2 with somebody. You figure out their moves mm-hmm. and and where they're going to go when the ball gets passed here or how it's passed there and yeah, it'll 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 happen. You, you'll be you'll be you'll be the the coolest but kind of nerdiest color commentator on the East Coast. You know.
1: Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky though. When we talk about relationships, um, my college teammate uh, Sarah Jo Lawrence, she's actually so she works at Clemson on the in the academic support side, but she does color commentary for their women's program. So okay. when you talk about having relationships with others and building them over the years. When I got the job, I called my friend who works for McEwen at Northwestern. And she was like, Lise, if you're nervous, call Sarah Joe. She's doing it mm-hmm. at Clemson. Ask her. I was like, no way. So then I called her. Mm-hmm. And, and she sent me a list of tips like, you know, just get your point in and then get out, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So it was it was very good.
0: Ah, very nice. Awesome. Uh, Lisa, we're going to transition here. Uh, we're going to go with the, uh, the John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, this is our third John Wooden quote. We had 90-some Don Meyer quotes of the day, and now we're going with the John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, I'm going to throw out the quote, and uh, feel free to to comment on it uh, as you gather your, as your thoughts here. All right? Does that sound good, Coach? Sounds good. All right. So the John Wooden quote of the day is, whatever you do in life, surround yourself with smart people who will argue with you i really like that because you know it's the the worst thing you can have as a coach is a bunch of yes yes men and yes women around you you need smart people who are willing to challenge your point of view in my opinion what do you think coach
1: i agree i agree i you know over my eight years i had a staff of just a diverse group of people who did that and they constantly challenged me and they constantly, it helps for making adjustments. Um, Like go back to my story with um, Brian Creech earlier. If you have people all looking at the same thing and through the same lens, you're never going to see the different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, so having some having a diverse staff and using diversity as an asset um, because you could just see all those different perspectives and get suggestions from there so you can best serve you know the, the team you're having. Because think about it. Your team is not all going to think like you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have a diverse group of individuals and you've got to meet their individual needs as well. Mm-hmm. So. Definitely, all yeah. the
0: way. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the second half here. Let's get into some basketball, uh, practical basketball stuff here. A little bit more stuff with dealing with your overall philosophy one of the things i wanted to talk to you about and and again kind of the disadvantage with just this being audio instead of visual and audio is obviously not being able to see it uh but i'm intrigued uh you talked about coach McEwen and the the blizzard matchup and that was number one on my list uh just talking about the philosophy of the matchup zone and uh you know what goes into it as best as you can explain to us, kind of the uh, the alignments and the strategy with it. And uh, at, you know, at this point, uh, Coach Steele, I'm just going to kind of turn it over to you, and I might jump in with a question or two. Um, but you know, tell us tell us about uh, tell us about the blizzard.
1: So Blizz is a matchup zone defense, and I actually have uh, materials for you. I saw on your website you have handouts and resources. I'll share with you. I've kind of taken coaches resources and mm-hmm. tailored it to high school students okay. and also tailored it to a remote setting because last year we had to do virtual practices for about a month
0: awesome. until
1: the season started okay um so i previewed the zone defense like i had film clips i have diagrams things of that nature so um i'll share this with you afterwards but um oh, Blizz is a thank you so
0: much zone. by the way before i forget to thank you that that is awesome and we'll get that added uh awesome. we'll, we'll, we'll get it figured out so sorry go ahead
1: Great, awesome. So, the essentials of blaze, right? You need to have strong ball. It's a it's a matchup zone defense. So, if you look at the initial alignment, depending on where the ball is, uh, basically if the ball comes up the middle, right, um, you it looks like a one one. Two one kind of it it's it, it, it kind of morphs um and honestly I've heard different names thrown out for the defense from different coaches uh depending on what coaching tree they mm-hmm. come from. Uh but you know it depends on strong ball pressure at all times. So you have two halves of it, right? You have your up guard and your down guard, and then you have your back line. Mm-hmm. So your up guard and your down guard are always in line um you know one is typically always on the ball depending on if, if the ball is high above the free throw line and then you have your back line which has two wings um kind of like back of two three but like two wings um and then the hoop uh personnel wise you want to have like a strong aggressive guard and then a heady guard so typically your strong aggressive guard on ball defense uh would be at the up guard and they would basically just pressure the crap out of the ball
3: okay
1: and then your your down guard would be the one kind of aligned in line with her um him or her and kind of just able to see the floor and see the next play Mm -hmm. uh and then they'd rotate out for that that first pass how Um,
0: how how high do you want that guard to, to pick up the ball Typically. So
1: it, it depends, um, but I have in the past picked up across half court in the backcourt, okay. um, like right around the the tip circle, you know, um, we have picked up at half court and then we have actually, there's a version, Coach McEwen used to call, we called it Utah, where the three-point line was a electric fence, essentially, so we would maybe pick up around like the NBA line, like not a little bit further than the NBA line, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of... Just past the tip circle in the front court so okay. so it, 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 that becomes a scout uh, a scout um, decision a mm. game time decision and it also is a personnel decision so with Hannah Hidalgo I've been able to play this in the back court where she picks up in the back court. Um, that I had a stretch of years where my personnel really didn't fit this well. So I had to make a lot of adjustments and we picked up, uh, more so at half court or after.
3: Okay. All right. Um,
1: so communication is the big piece. Uh, and then everybody kind of has to move as a unit because you and move on the flight of the pass. Um, and then the other big piece is if you can prevent ball reversals, then you win. Cause think about it. Like it, it, whenever we coach our zone offenses, right if you can get the defense moving and shifting, there's going to be a miscommunication somewhere. There's going to be an opening Mm -hmm. somewhere.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so with that being said, uh, we try to, when the ball reverses that down guard or, or that up or down, depending on how the rotation is, they attack that reversal pass really strong, um, where they're trying to force the girl with the ball who receives the pass back to where she came from. Okay. Um, not necessarily stealing the pass over the years. Early in my tenure at PBI, I had a young lady who kept trying to steal the pass. And when she'd miss, she'd be out of position. And then it leave you know, the middle open. So um, that was tough. That was tough. So you got to kind of, like, get your players to hone in that aggressiveness where they're being there on the catch, just forcing them to come back.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So. So yeah, so your up guard and your down guard are always in line. Um, it looks like they're on a string. Uh, <clears throat> and sometimes when the ball's on the wing, you'll have one of your backline players guarding the ball, and then your guards will be like on the elbows. And because the reason why we want to have them on the elbows is you you know the one area of the zone is that will kill it is the high post, mm-hmm. the middle. So um, if the ball is on the wing, then one of the backline players will pick it up. The hoop, the middle, would shift over to the ball side block, and then uh, the other opposite wing would shift down, so they're on a string, and then your guard would bump in. You would have a guard that bumps in, and then you so on the ball side elbow, and then you have another guard on the on the weak side elbow. So it really looks like a traditional two three when the ball's on the wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <clears throat> when the ball goes to so there's a lot of like. Not special situations, but, like, different situations. So when the ball goes to the corner, uh, it really depends on a game time decision um, in terms of scout in your personnel. So if you have the ball in the wing and a player runs baseline to the corner, um, the hoop, obviously you're you're screaming, hey, there's a corner, there's a corner. Um, depending on the decision, sometimes, a lot of times, what I would do is call bumping. So that. Yep. That guard who was on the ball side elbow, but now come out and physically bump, like push with their hand, the girl down to the corner. So then that girl is not responsible for running, you know, ball to ball
3: because mm-hmm. that's impossible. Okay.
1: Or you have Xing where you don't um, you don't bump down right, and the pass goes. The hoop will X out. So the girl from the middle, your center. Will mm-hmm. sprint and close out to the corner, and then your wing will X back into where the hoop came from.
0: Yep, yep. Okay. And,
1: and in that period of transition, then the backside wing will just show for a little bit, and then re- and then recover. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's a, it's
0: so a bump, but it's a different type of bump there in that regard. Yeah, yep. it,
1: it, yeah, exactly. Yep. Because then what happens is, as that ball goes to the corner, then your up and your down guard shift over to the ball side. So now instead of on the two elbows, you got one girl denying the reversal pass back to the wing and then another guard on that ball side elbow protecting the
0: high post. So when, when that ball goes to the corner then, and again, you know, there's different scenarios, different scouts, that type of thing, but a a base rule, maybe if if they go that deep into the corner, let's really kill that thing in the corner and really cut off the rest of the court.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's, um, preventing ball reversals—that's kind of the whole premise. Like you want that other guard to really deny that wing hard to not let that pass get back out.
0: Mhm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Mhm.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, and then so then if the ball rotates out, you really don't want to let that ball reverse. But then it, it winds up being the same principles on the other side. You know, if the ball gets to the wing, the back line, the wing will cover it the up guard and down guard will be on the elbows if the ball goes to the corner depending on if you bumped or xed um where the girls will go uh, but there was like a couple just like terms that we use um if we call blue uh that means we're trapping um i like to do a lot of color coding things for defensive calls just because if you're calling out just different things that you know teams might know it, the colors kind of keep it so blue is a trap for us mm-hmm. and um a lot of times we will trap the short corners. I never trapped the first pass. Um, I think when I played for Joe, we might have trapped the first pass once in my career because it was a scout. Like there was something that we saw when we watched all the film that we decided, hey, we're going to trap the first pass. Um, but a lot of times uh, blue uh, happens in the short corner. And it's with your wing and your hoop band because mm-hmm. now you got your size.
0: hmm Yep okay
1: um so other like terms we call tagging so if there's like a player in your area like we have you literally like tag their hip you know like one just like have that physical contact like where like the player knows you're there but two even like if the player's in your peripheral you know they're there Two, with your hands up and you're kind of there ready to, to guard it um a player in your area um sit sit on uh and this was for me a big thing for when i was at gw i played that back line and i remember playing the university of georgia and megan darren who's like six four um i had to find a way to kind of be big with her and not let her get like a high low pass mm-hmm. because of the ball. so we we sit on them so basically our defenders will post a little bit um where <clears throat> like let's say the ball is on your side and you're bumped in and there's a player on that block, you'll sit on their thigh. So if they try to throw the the pass, you know, they got to release contact to go get the ball. Well, if there's somebody like sitting on their thigh, they're not going to be able to physically get the momentum, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? To do it. And you're not using your hands, you know what I mean? It's kind of yep. like a post-up, like you're, you're sitting on them, yep. you know? Um, I, I've i never really had the girls over-exaggerate the sit, Um uh, where the point where like the girls moved and they're still trying to sit on them, you know, where they get into like a little battle. But, mm-hmm. um, but so I, I use that terminology and actually in my resources I have, I screenshot pictures of what it looks like. So you can see, okay. uh, visually what it looks like. Um, we have sworn. So when the ball enters the high post, so I did this at the high school level. Um, I could kind of get away with this at the high school level because of the just, um, the skill, you know, and different things. At the college level, we didn't do it too much because you got players that have skill that could kind of get around this, but we swarm. And basically, that means three girls are guarding the ball. Mm-hmm. So, like, the hoop will come up and yell swarm, and then the up guard and the down guard will attack from the top. And they kind of triple team the ball. And um, what happens is a lot of times when we yell, Just the physical act of yelling swarm, the whole team yelling it with their hands up running at you. Girls will get like nervous and either travel or give the ball up quick.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Get that tip and run out with your aggressive guards at the top, so forth and so on. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, And then we had a digging. So if there's like a post entry, um, our guards will kind of open up. Um, and just dig at the ball. They won't commit and double team, but they might like just jab at it and dig up. Like I never tell my guards to steal the ball, swiping down. Like I always want the palms up. Um, I learned that. Gosh, I think it was at a USAB clinic. And I, I saw you had Don Showalter on your thing. I don't know if it was his one of his talks or. But if your palms are showing, the rest are probably not going to call the fouls. Mm -hmm. But if you like flip those palms down and start like a bear, like swiping down, um, (laughs) you're going to get a foul call. You know what I mean? So I always talk about digging up Um, because a lot of times, too, the players over there playing the ball. If you pop that ball up, it's got there's nowhere to protect. But like if you swipe it down, they got their body to kind of maybe catch the ball.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have the gray areas. So you have a couple areas on the court where it's just not cut and dry. Um, one of those gray areas, um, is like the elbow extended, uh, on both sides of the three point line. And then the other two gray areas you have are the, um, the wings where it's like at the mid post.
3: Mm-hmm. Cause, yep.
1: Cause it's like, what do you do? Do you bump here? Do you guard it with the guard? Do you guard it with the wing? What's so, um, and that just kind of takes practice. And the way we break down blizz and practice is like, I'll show this as a whole. And then I'll do up guards and down guard or up back. Um, I'll do front line and back line. So like the up guard, down guards and the back line together. And like, we'll do like seven on three or seven on two where we pass the ball around for a shot clock and they have to make their rotations. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we come back together and we, we scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And
2: okay.
1: then sometimes like depending on our needs, like if we're playing a team that's a strong rebounding team, We'll play where it's, like, the only way you score is through defensive rebounds. Okay. You know, that sort of thing. Or the only way you score is through stops. or the only way you score is, like, if you prevent a reversal pass. You know, that sort of thing. So it depends on the focus of the game.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. What are are, um, one or two things that – you you mentioned the gray areas – is, are yep. there, are there any other, uh, things that you're, and, and I'm going to use air quotes here, giving up, uh, is it, is it, uh, tough to rebound out of it? Maybe, you know, that's kind of the thing that, uh, worries some coaches playing zone is not having a body to body to, to, rebound. Uh, you know, what are the one or two things that you really, uh, other than the basic rotations, what are the one or two things that you really have to emphasize to make it successful?
1: Uh, you have to. So if you're going to play a team that overloads, then you're going to either struggle or you're going to have to dedicate a lot of time and practice. Uh, Dawn Staley, when she would run this against us, she would overload it and then flash. Um, at, it was Temple at the time, Kamisha Harrison across the uh, across the free throw line from the backside. So um, overloads are either something you're going to dedicate time and practice to to working on. Or you got to make an adjustment. You know what I mean mm-hmm. with with your team in terms of like, all right, we're playing this team and like, don't I mean, do when we ever we played Temple, it was a little bit of a struggle because she always overloaded it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other area, the, the short corner areas, basically, it, and like I said, it overload. Um, if you have a corner, a short corner, and a wing, um, that's tough to guard. The other piece is working on skip passes. If you have a team where, and this happened to me one year, where I had guards who were athletic, but not aggressive. So they were in front of the ball, but they weren't doing a lot to prevent, like, easy passes. Mm -hmm. Um, So what happens is, if they're doing that, and everybody's committed to playing, like, don't let the ball reverse, and the team is able to skip pass, threes on the weak side are, are tough. Mm -hmm. Um, you'll get that. So if you have a team who's like a really sharp passing knows to throw skip passes very well, um, that is also like a a risk you're taking. So you gotta be able to be sure that your guards are just aggressive enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually I had one year, the year I had my daughter, um, for two reasons, one, because I wasn't there to really like, and my assistants know the defense, um, but just the install, the process, the nuances of it, yeah. um, we just, and the personnel we had that year, we had a lot of freshmen, um, who are now, you know, seniors going division one and division two, which is awesome. But, um, but we had younger players and then we had seniors who weren't, we just didn't have that aggressive defensive, like on ball defender. Mm-hmm. So there was a year where we actually did not play blitz because we just didn't have the personnel.
0: Yeah. Well, um. And, and that goes back to the very first thing that you said was you got to have great on-ball pressure to really make it work. And yeah. and and I think sometimes with kids when they say okay hey we're gonna go with our zone whatever zone it may be oh it's mm-hmm. a little bit of a break it's a little bit of a rep. no no you're still in a stance you're still being aggressive yeah. you're still closing out aggressively you're still mirroring the basketball uh, you you I uh, one of the big mistakes I made is one year we went exclusively zone I bet we played nineties. 90- ninety to ninety five percent of our possessions on defense were zone, and we got away from our man to man principles. And then at the end of the year, we we're like, God, we got to get back to our man to man stuff. And mm-hmm. the we we it took us. I felt like another season to get back to yeah. aggressively playing man-to-man. So it was like we lost two years defensively, I felt like, anyway. And and so I, I think that's important that you instill that aggressiveness and that ball pressure and that intensity and those stances, uh, regardless of whether you're in man or zone.
1: Yeah. And you know what, though? Even with a team that was like that, so like last year I had um, Hannah, and then I have a young lady, Sharia Baines, who's just a pest defensively. Um I have a I have a couple guards that could do it, but last year um, when we would play scout, like when when I would making scout decisions, and I'd say, all right, we're going to play blizz. I had to couple blizz with our press because, like you said, that mentality. I don't I don't. So it's like trying to break that mentality, and the way that I could break that mentality that worked for my girls was to press. Mm-hmm. So we just spent a lot of time conditioning to make sure they could press for a full game. Um, but then like we mixed it up some of those games because the teams were, the other teams were kind of being more of the aggressor, making, you know, the skip passes and and things of that nature. And, um, our team was kind of like doing the slides correctly, but not doing the slides with the, with their hands up, like doing all the little things that would force somebody to feel pressure.
0: Yeah. The details of it. Yep. 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 Um, that's great stuff, Coach, and 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 I I appreciate you sharing that. Um, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about that after we get off the the phone here, but uh, mm-hmm. hopefully um, we'll we'll have that up and ready to go on the website. So I appreciate you being willing to to share that. You you earn the honor of of being the first person outside of me to put stuff on the website. So
2: oh that's oh awesome that's <laughs> pretty. <laughs> Okay,
0: great. Thanks. (laughs) We will have the Lisa Steele file on hand on a pen and (laughs) napkin.com. Perfect. Great. Um, let's talk about communicating with your administration. And you know, now you're in a different role. You're 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 an assistant AD. Uh you are now uh a step above your coaches, so to speak, uh in the in the hierarchy of things. Um talk to us about communicating with administrators and some of the the keys with that and, and, and working with administration.
1: Um, so a few big things that I've learned is, and and even this is the same thing as being an assistant college coach too, with your head coaches, your bosses don't want surprises. Um, so there, you, you gotta be able to communicate proactively and communicate often. Um, be, just because anytime there's surprises, you don't want to have something come across their desk and be like, Well, why didn't I know about this? What what's going on here? Um, the other piece to that also is <clears throat> um oh my gosh, I just blanked. But oh yeah, if there's a void in communication. Um, a lot of times negativity will fill that, you know, so if you're not updating your bosses just on, on the good things, too. So we talk about in education, right? Always, you know, when you make your phone calls home um, to parents, don't just call home for the detentions and, mm-hmm. and the bad and the failing grades call home with good news, too, uh, because then. You know you one, you build a relationship, but two, when you make those bad phone calls, you are not, you know, it you're not just coming to this person with negativity all the time. So, the one thing, um, that I always did with my my bosses is like if we ever had a big milestone or if we ever had just like good things coming up, I would share that with them, and it didn't always have to be an email, too. You know, like I would either share it, um, like our assistant AD at PBI, she ran. The Twitter, so I would share tweets with her, so she could push it out. But Mm -hmm. then she also was always in the know, just about like oh, like who was at our open gym this week, or who, um, you know, had a a great week of practice, or who got who just got a scholarship offer, things of that nature. Um, so that's like finding the various ways to communicate with your administrators where it's not always just so formal, Mm -hmm. um, or. Or um, finding the various ways to communicate with your administrator, so it's not always n- negative or something you need. Because mm-hmm. you don't want, you don't want to be that person that always needs something. You know, every yeah. time somebody's phone rings, they have the choice to answer it or not answer it. You know, and if you're like a, a negative Nelly who is always calling for something, you know that that phone call might not get picked up all the time, mm. <laughs> the time. A lot of times, you know, the communication, every, like everybody will be willing to participate. You know, they won't answer because they have to. So,
0: yeah, well, and and I, you know, you don't want to be that energy vampire. Um, yeah. You know, and you come in and you're constantly complaining about your your team or this kid or that that uh, parent or whatever it may be. Um, you know, you everybody brings value. To the situation, and to the program, and to everything that you do, and do you have to dig a little harder sometimes with some people? Absolutely. But when when you're talking with your administration, I think you do uh, need to do your best to find the bright spots and and find the good things that are going on. And then when it comes to hey, here's my here's my want, uh, there, there's there's a there's a pretty good perspective there.
1: Yeah, and then the other piece, and and I'm actually it's funny moving into a new position and working with new people. Um, I I heard this at a coach's symposium, Felicia Hall Allen's coach's symposium a decade ago, where if you are an assistant coach or now I'm an assistant indeed, um if you have an idea that you go to your boss with and they say no three times, leave it alone.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, don't
1: don't really try to push. So I, you know, I've come in, I feel bad because I just have all these ideas of different things with building relationships and organization and um but if they say no three times leave it alone you know because obviously there's a reason and you don't want to just be persistent and push people away you know because you just have to have your idea happen
0: yeah yeah well yeah i think that's the uh, you know uh you, you have to read the room you have to read yeah. the room and yeah um one of the things. And, and, you you know, we're talking about communication with administration, but you're, you know, talking about communication with your coaches. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of my big rules with my assistants is uh, bring any problem that you want to, to the table, but you better bring a solution as well. Um, Don't, you know, I'm pretty sure I've already recognized that problem as well. Uh, And maybe I haven't, but if I, if I have not, uh, you know. Bring that problem, but also bring a solution, because we can, we can sit and bellyache about the problems all that we want, and when you're talking yeah. with your administrator, hey, it's your program. Yeah, okay, here is here's a problem. Now what's going to be my solution to it?
1: Yeah, because think about it, like We're in a busy culture now. Everybody's busy, busy, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the, the buzzword. So if you come with that solution, then that's one less thing that they don't have to do. So if you bring that problem, it's like, well, now I have now you're adding work to my plate. I I had a boss always tease me like you're adding stuff to my plate, and then I was like, no, not here. I did this and this and this, you know. And and then they're more likely to say yes if you're the one doing all the work.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's if it's something they don't have to do, yeah, yeah, let it rip. Uh, You're usually, especially if you're working for a good administrator, they're they're not going to say no. Yeah. Yeah. coach you got time for one more thing yeah okay uh i i've got two things you tell me which one you want to talk about okay Okay. you want to talk about some scouting and scouting methods and what you do there or do you want to talk about your practice setup
1: we can talk about scouting
0: okay okay all right let's talk about scouting let's talk about scouting uh what do you do what's your process what do you look at uh where are your priorities? Uh obviously, um uh, some states have started games already. We're starting games this week in Nebraska. So, always curious to talk about coaches and their scouting philosophy and and what they do. So, let her rip.
1: So I- So I um, kind of mixed in terms of the organization piece and the management. I brought that from the college level. So I have my game schedule on a spreadsheet. um, And then next to each opponent and game date, to the right on another column, I have their previous three games. Um, And if I can get to... No, and I choose three games for a few reasons. Um, One, if I can get to, physically get to a game, um, I have three options to possibly go um, or or send an assistant. Um, Two, um, if I can see all three games, that'd be great. Um, Now, Huddle has changed the game for us uh, because we're able to trade film now. Um, So it, it also now becomes a, did we request the game on Huddle? Mm-hmm. which was something, you know, 10 years ago, at even me, uh, even though I'm, like, fairly, you know, I've lived half my life with social media, half my life without it, right? So mm-hmm. I, um, as a college coach, I was still trading DVDs and sending blank DVDs.
0: Oh, them. Lisa. <laughs> you know, Lisa, so. I, I started out with VHS tapes, so, <laughs> so, so I'm one up on you there, so... <laughs>
1: yeah. So I um, but so now, but with Huddle, I was able to add to that spreadsheet. Like, did we request the game on Huddle? And you know, it's different rivalries and how people are—they don't want to share their film. Like, we were lucky in South Jersey. Um, Cherokee, who's the other, like one of the top programs in our area, he was just like, "Why don't we just share film?" So that was nice because he was a coach that was willing to share. But then you had other coaches that were like, I'm not even replying to your request. <laughs> um, so I make the spreadsheet before the season. Uh then I share it out with my coaches. You know, my district at public school is a Google district. So I kinda learned the ins and outs of how to share Google Sheets and have everybody collaborate so we don't have to always meet mm-hmm. face to to do everything. Um so then we were able to, you know, like on my staff, if I had somebody, like we were nice because I lived in one part of South Jersey, Sicklerville, but then I had staff members that was in Cherry Hill and Penn which which is like 25 minutes closer to Philly. So they're closer to like other games. So I was able to hit a lot of games closer to home, and then they were able to hit games closer to their home, um, and we were able to actually go see the teams live. Um, so then the biggest difference between my college, like – Scouting Game Scouts versus high school Game Scouts is I focus heavily on personnel and, and action. So in college, we used to diagram every set every team ran. And we went over, like, I had a boss who wanted to go over every walk. Uh You know, so if we were playing an opponent where like FDU, they ran—they must have ran like ninety-two sets. (laughs) It's crazy because they're all quick hits. But then my boss felt the need in in our in our uh, walkthroughs and things, practices to go over each look, so the girls could at least see it. Uh Um, at the high school level, we don't have that time. Um also for me i i really wanted to focus on just like big things and then if there was like one thing i would keep in my back pocket so like for instance if we were playing an opponent who ran a lot of just wing balls, or, or no here Cherokee they ran a traditional like villanova style five out um they had a post player in So they would either run like a four round one with their post, the Terrians, um, or they would run like a five out versus man and then try to like post up as they're cutting through the
3: lane.
1: I focused on guarding, you know, the Villanova style five out in practice instead of guarding every type of cut, every, because of Villanova, they number their cuts. Mm -hmm. So like a one cut is a straight cut, a basket cut, a two cut is a curl, a three is a flare, you know, and instead of, Overloading the kids, um, we just kind of go over the general,
2: uh-huh. the general,
1: the, the general looks, um, and then like obviously personnel. So this Cherokee was killing people with you know this post player, and what I do whenever we play strong post players in high school, it's really hard for high school guards to throw lob passes. Uh-huh. So we played a number of strong post players last year. So the way we, I always played post players was you front them, you have your weak, and you work on help side defense on the weak side, and then you pressure the crap out of the guards. Because then what happens is it's already hard to throw a lob pass, but now you have to throw a lob pass with a guard in your face Mm -hmm. and fronting. Um, So those are, that's kind of my approach is I look for like general, like just their strengths Mm -hmm. um, and then their personnel strengths. Because in high school, um you know you might have that one player that can just change the whole game so like how do you stop or um i always try not to like get the girls too focused on stars so sometimes i'll say hey look this girl who did i do that with last year um kylie capstraw from west orange high school she's going to yale uh next year this kid was averaging like 30 points a game
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and i told my girls i said look If she averages 30 points a game and the other players average what they average, we win the game. You know, I said, so what we're going to do is we're going to make sure none of their teammates do more than what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And if she scores 30, she scores 30. I did that with Kylie Watson, too, who's at Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at the end of the day, these girls are so good. Like Kylie Watson, McDonald's all American. She's going to she's going to do what she does. Yeah. Stop the rest of the team from doing better than what they can do.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's you know you, you sometimes we get so locked in on you know here's the other team's best player uh, and so we've got to try and take it well you know if if they're that good uh, you know you they're gonna you know, they're, no matter what you do they're gonna get something and, and 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 it depends on the player you know we we had uh, two situations last year uh, we played against a, an All-State post player. And we played against an, an all-state guard, and we went triangle and two on both of those players, but they were two completely different looks with the uh, triangle and two, and you know, with the with the guard that was there, we uh, we looked at it and go, hey, you know what? She's actually almost too unselfish at times. So yeah, we're going to guard her aggressively, but we're gonna we're gonna keep the triangle tight in the lane. We're going to take away their other best shooter, but yep. anybody else, we're not going to let her get into the lane and set it up for everybody else because she almost played like she was uh, guilty that she was so much better than everybody else on her team that she's like, okay, here, let me create something easy for you so you can get a couple of shots here. We were like, we told our kids, if she shoots threes, who cares? Just don't let her get in the lane and create something easy for anybody yep. else. And and so I think that with that scouting uh mentality you you have to take a look at in some ways also kind of the psychology of your opponent and and kind of try to take that deeper dive if if you can and then simplify it and i and i love what you said there i, I agree with you with with high school kids you you have to simplify the keys and you and you got to put it in about a, a 10 minute window that they can understand it in. because if it's anything more than that um, if you have a team that can understand more than a ten minute window, you're probably going to be really good anyway. But most teams yeah. are in about that ten minute window when it comes to scouting. Of okay, here's the three or four things we need to do. Now here we go.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then I, if we, I made, I was back and forth throughout my whole career on giving them scouts. Um, when we played like North Jersey teams, I sometimes did, but then I realized they focused solely on like what was written on the paper mm-hmm. and not playing the game. So some years I stopped doing that and like what i actually started doing here because south jersey is like two states i mean not south jersey i'm sorry new jersey like uh-huh. you got south jersey you have new- north jersey right and mm. like a lot of players from south jersey don't go up north until the state playoffs so what we started doing was playing like summer league up in north jersey you know it's a two-hour ride but we would go up we play right by new york city mm-hmm. um so then and part of my reasoning for doing that was scouting And also just exposure. So now, like, my girls can see the girls that we're going to play in the state playoffs. Mm -hmm. And then when they play them, you know, under the lights, it's not shell shock for the Mm -hmm. first quarter.
0: Yeah. Well, and, yeah, you you get an idea of things and, yeah, you feel a little bit more comfortable. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. Anything else on scouting, Coach?
1: Not really. I mean, also, the the last piece is you, even when you scout, it doesn't matter what the other teams do. You have to stay true to what you do. Yeah. You know, like, you don't want to be, you, you know, like, if you fall for some, one thing, you'll fall for anything, right? Like, you don't want to be the type of person that, that tries to change for every team. Because then it'll confuse your kids. Your kids will get confused.
0: Yeah. Yeah. well, uh, Yeah, you could, you know, y- you have your base principles. Um, and okay, here's the one slight tweak that we're doing to our base principles based on this particular scout, but everything else is the same. And if you got a couple of days to prep for it, you should be in pretty good shape. But yeah, like you said, you can't be, you can't be switching all over the place and, and be 22 different teams over a 24 game schedule. You got to be one team with a, with slight tweaks for 24, 24 games on your schedule or whatever the number may be. So,
2: yeah.
0: So um Lisa Steele, the the former girls basketball coach at uh Paul the Sixth out there in New Jersey. Coach, this has been a, a this has been really, really awesome to talk to you this morning. I hope you've had a good good time.
1: I did, thank you.
0: And uh fly eagles fly. Yes, fly
1: eagles fly. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: all right. Well, hey, uh hey, if you could hold the line here a second, we gotta wrap up a couple of housekeeping things here. Uh Uh, Again, Lisa Steele, uh, terrific job. Look for her on the LaSalle. uh, Is it ESPN Plus? LaSalle color commentary?
1: Yes, it won't be until... My next date won't be until January 23rd, probably.
0: Gotcha. So you got a little time to find it on ESPN Plus. Uh, Maybe if she's lucky, the legend Lionel Simmons will swing by. uh, The LaSalle (laughs) Explorers and the Big Five. The Palestra. What's the Palestra like?
1: Oh, my God. Okay. It... (laughs) I have, um, actually, have I played here? I've practiced there a lot for AAU. My sister played there. My sister played for Brown. Um, It is an allure. I mean, it is one of the best sports venues in the world, but then when you're actually there sitting in the stands, it is like a high school gym, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, in terms of the seats. Um, But when you're walking in the hallways and you're just seeing, like, just a museum to Big Five basketball and the history that has come through... Um, you know, when I was in high school, I was there when LeBron James got crossed up by Maurice Rice from Strawberry Mansion. You mm-hmm. know, so there's just so much history in that building. But it's funny because the actual facility itself—it's it, an old building. Yeah. You
0: know. <laughs> yeah, it's almost 100 years old, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, they have a great, talk about can't find a, a good sandwich place. They have a great cheesesteak place across the street at <laughs> nurse <so> That's good.
0: <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, it, it, when I'm back on the East Coast sometime, I'm going to give you a call. And and I and I want three or four good cheesesteak places, and then I'm going to charge the angioplasty to your account. How about that? All right, right. Lisa Steele. Like I said, awesome awesome conversation this morning. Uh, We want to thank Kosak Chiropractic for once again sponsoring the pod. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Uh, download rate and review the pod on itunes here email me if you have any questions comments suggestions or ideas a pen and a napkin at gmail.com and hopefully here in the next day or two we will have uh lisa's material on the blizz uh half court defense here on a pen and a coaches as always let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time